0: Hey everyone, welcome. We're so glad to have you with us this morning as we worship together. What a blessing to be able to gather wherever we are. Uh, for those of you locally, hello. For those of you who are gathering from places near and far, we're so glad to have friends and family who are worshiping together with us. Like I say every week, my prayer is that as we come into this service, that really it's a help for whatever you're going through, that it's a blessing to help carry you through as we worship and grow together. This week, we're going to be continuing our current sermon series, talking about the commands of Christ and kind of how. I've identified these commands is these are the basics of our faith. When we say what are the basic things that we need to know? What is the foundation? And our foundation is that God is our source. When we think about basics, when we think about source, source goes to your origin, so your point of beginning, but source is also the place where you go to to learn and grow. And what a blessing we have to have God who is spirit, the one who illuminates um, things for us in scripture, who makes our path straight, the one who guides us as we walk through this life. We also have God as father um, who loves us who carries us who is really home the place where we can know comfort refuge and strength and then we have Jesus Christ as our example Jesus is the one we follow uh, as followers or disciples of Jesus Christ he is our leader he is the God he is our Lord and he is the one we follow so part of following the commands of Jesus Christ is doing just that acknowledging that Jesus is Lord acknowledging that his life and his example How Jesus Lived and Loved teaches us how to live and love the way God desires us to. So when we're learning from the source in this series, we're basically asking this same question. What does God ask of us and how do we do it? So this week we're going to be talking about being salt and light. We had started talking about repent. So the idea was to, to turn and keep our eyes fixed on God. Last week, we talked about just following me. The idea here is that if Jesus is God and he is Lord, what does our lives look like if we truly follow him? And then this morning, we'll focus on being salt and light. So let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you so much for the blessing and privilege it is to worship together with you, to worship Um, together as a community, as a family, as a body, um, as one. Lord, we also thank you for just the calls that you've put on our lives, to repent and turn and keep our eyes on you, to follow you, Lord Jesus. Now this morning, as we talk about being salt and light, help us to think through ways in our lives that we can bring your light to this world, ways in our life that we can help preserve one another and take your gospel by how we live and how we love. your holy and precious name, amen. So Matthew 5, 13 and 16, kind of follows along the Beatitudes, which we studied a little bit last year. The background is Matthew 5 to 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. This is, you know, a bunch of... a very long discourse, right? So there's some people who will say that the Sermon on the Mount is a bunch of different sermons or teachings. But what we know for sure is that from Matthew 5 to 7, we have consistent Jesus teaching us how to live and what it means to be part of God's kingdom, what it means to be following Jesus. Now, what's interesting is those of us uh, as brethren in Christ, for example, we identify in the Anabaptist faith family of Christianity. And for us, traditionally, historically, for centuries now, we've identified this Matthew 5 to 7. phrase we use that the canon within the canon Uh, canon is basically uh, in olden times i was going to say but when the bible was being put together figuring out what is the word of god they came up with the canon so that's the 66 books of the bible but for us the idea here was if jesus said it and he's lord we're going to zero in on it so when we say it's the canon within the canon for us as anabaptists this is kind of where we go to not just for jesus moral teaching but for how to live the other thing that's interesting to understand about the sermon on the mount though is that Jesus is preaching to a crowd. Yes, but he's talking to his disciples. What I mean by that is that Jesus didn't know everyone who was going to come and hear. Just like, for example, um, when I'm preaching right now, there's people who are watching on the internet who I'll probably never see here. I mean, I hope to see you. Come say hi, you know, Um, but I might never see. So you don't, you just, you're preaching. But what I love about it is that even though there were crowds and maybe people who went and told this message to their families and friends and all that, but what Jesus' focus wasn't on the crowd, it was on his disciples. Jesus is specifically mapping out this Sermon on the Mount to say, if you follow me, live like this. It is not a suggestion. It is a reaction or, or, or an answer to Jesus' call for us to submit to him. So Matthew 5 to 7 is talking specifically to his disciples. So this morning, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, this is how you are to live. Because here's the crazy thing about followers, right? Here's really wild followers have to follow there's so many of us who will say we're a follower of Jesus but when we think about who is Lord of our lives who's a Lord of our future of our finances of our dreams of our, our goals our gifts our skills and abilities is it really Jesus Because if you're going to say you're a follower of Jesus, then you have to actually follow Jesus. Now, where verse 13 and 16 shows up is really right after the Beatitudes. Now, when we preached through the Beatitudes, we said these were promises of the kingdom. The idea of the Beatitudes was Jesus was saying, If you live like this, you look like me. And if you look like me, you will grow and become more and more like me. And if you grow and become more and more like me, you will actually help usher in God's kingdom. And then we get to this passage in Matthew 5:13 to 16, right after the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, now that you know what it is, what it looks like, how to live and look like me, how to help usher in the kingdom, I need you to be salt and light. Matthew 5:13 to 16, starting at verse 13, it reads, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus calls his people to be salt and light, and the reason that they're salt and light is when others see them being salt and light, when others see them doing good, when others see them living and loving like Jesus lived in love, it'll remind them, it'll point them, it'll invite them to the glorify God our Father. Now, one of the things I've grown to really love and appreciate about Jesus is that he's brilliant. I know it's shocking. He's God. But Jesus is also brilliant. And one of the ways I think you see Jesus' brilliance is that he's very much a common sense kind of teacher. When you look at Jesus' teaching, I think one of the ways you can sum it up is that he always meets us where we are and then takes us to where he desires us to go. I think the reason that's brilliant is because that's what good teachers do. Most good teachers can't just come to you and introduce a completely new concept without some sort of foundation. Uh, My this daughter's in first grade you know so yeah we know the alphabet we know numbers all that stuff but if i sat her down tomorrow and said e equals mc squared she'll say first of all what is square that's not a letter and two what is this e and mc you're talking about so even though she might have a little bit of a foundation that's a big jump from first grade to e equals mc squared so what a teacher has to do is build on what is known and then teach something new off that basis of what's known. And maybe, maybe the most common place we see this is in Jesus' parables. Uh, when I was young, there was a guy I heard speaking one time, he says, these are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Now, I don't know if that's the best definition of parable, but it's the one that stuck with me for probably almost 30 years now, right? So in these earthly stories with heavenly meanings, Jesus would start with a concept that people understood, and then he would take them to where he wanted them to be. So for example, in Luke 15, there's three parables, right? I'm just gonna talk about the first two. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. There's a lady who is cleaning her house. Oh, actually, uh, I was going to do the coin first. But the lost sheep. There's a a, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one goes missing. So he leaves the ninety nine, um, and then he goes after that one sheep. And when he finds that one sheep, he invites friends and family to come together and worship. And what was beautiful about that is that the people in the crowd would have been shepherds, would have known shepherd, or would have done shepherding. This was not a a, 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 a job that that people weren't familiar with. It was very much a shepherding culture so Jesus says remember if you ever lose that one sheep and you go out and you find it you will celebrate and people are like oh my gosh I would celebrate that'd be amazing I call my friends and family and Jesus says as wonderful as that celebration is there's celebration in heaven when one person repents and chooses to follow God how much greater is that celebration when one person repents and chooses to follow God all right, then he goes to the coin, which I had got ahead of myself. But in the parable of the lost coin, there's a lady who's searching. When I was a kid, I have to commit because I'm just like, she lost a quarter. It can't be that serious. It'll turn up, right? Like, it's 10 coins. She lost one. Not that serious. She still got nine more. But I got a little bit older and I just read through. I read that the coin was actually the equivalent of, of a day's pay. So I don't know what you make now, you know, but whatever you make now, if, if whatever you make after one day of work, if you lost that much money, And you searched the whole house, you know, you tore it up and down, you ripped it all up, you turned over the couches, you looked everywhere, and you found that little dollar, or I was going to say dollar, hopefully you make more than a dollar a day. But if you find whatever you make for that day's wage, you will celebrate and be happy, very happy, because that's a lot of money. And Jesus says that happiness pales into comparison as what happens in heaven again when one person chooses to follow god repents of their sin and says jesus is lord he starts with coins and shepherds and sheep and paychecks or whatever and what people knew in that celebration that they experience, he says that's great but when one person comes to god that's even greater celebration and it's so great it's not just calling your friends and family but the angels in heaven join with God and all the saints and they rejoice over that one person who believes and then Jesus also though uses the same method of starting with the familiar and, and bringing new teaching to it when he talks about salt and light so for example in this passage Jesus calls his disciples to be the salt of the earth people back then would have known salt as primarily two things. One, it was a preservative. It it dried out their food. Um, It killed the microbes, the bacteria. So for example, if I caught a big catch of fish, like we talked about last week, uh, there's only so much I can prepare today and eat. I can invite all my friends and family and eat, but I want to preserve some for tomorrow. Uh, We're very blessed in our culture to have a refrigerator, you know? Um, But one of the things that we use salt to do is to preserve the fish, to dry it out, so they can use it for future use. So everyone in there would have known salt as a preservative so that's the basis foundation that jesus is building the other one they knew for which i think all of us can hopefully except for people with medical issues but most of us understand salt is this it's a flavorful right on certain things that are sweet salt can actually enhance the sweetness it doesn't make sense to me until i had um sweet uh what's it called um it was a caramel salt sea salt caramel which is delicious if you want to bless me and you love me you should get me some of that i will love you more i promise god can't possibly love you better but i can just saying all right Talenti sea salt caramel is beautiful but salt actually makes it sweeter Right? But then there's also things that are maybe a little bit bitter, and a little bit of salt on that can block some of that bitterness. Um, in my country, we make this greens uh, called bitter leaves. I don't know how else to call it. I don't know the American equivalent, but it's literally called bitter leaves because it's bitter, you know? Um, but a little bit of salt actually not only blocks out that that bitterness, but it, I would say it makes it palatable, but it actually makes it delicious. But the people from that culture knew salt as a preservative and it knew salt as flavorful. They knew salt was very important, not just for use, but for Living. So when Jesus ends that passage on salt, he says, like, but what is good if salt loses its saltiness? How is it good? Can you salt it again? You can't. And what I love about this is Jesus is kind of working on this track to say, if you are followers, you got to follow. If you're disciples, you got a disciple. If you're salt, You got to be salt because when salt loses his saltiness, it is worthless. And the message we maybe sometimes miss is Jesus says, if a follower isn't following me, if a disciple isn't being discipled and then discipling others, if you are not being what God calls you to do, you might be like that unsalted salt. The second thing that Jesus calls his disciples in this passage is the light of the world. And ever since I was younger, there's something I held on to because one of the first things I learned is that Jesus is the light of the world. But I love that the God of the universe, the one who came to show us how to live and love and follow God, when he looks at us, he says, no, 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 no. You are the light of the world. One of the most amazing things about God is the humility of God to choose us to help him do his work of on earth as it is in heaven. But one of the things I understand that the people back then would have all understood about light is that light shines best in the darkness. You know, it's a very beautiful day outside today. It's a sunny day. If I had a flashlight, the flashlight would still be doing its job if I turned it on, but it wouldn't be as noticeable as necessary outside on a sunny day as in a dark, dark cave which brings us to the second point about light it doesn't just shine best in the darkness light always overcomes darkness when i was 15 16 they took the city boy uh, a good old camper and said we're going spelunking i was like first of all is that even a word right like what do you mean by spelunking no one ever spelunks in harrisburg or philadelphia where i was from no one ever spelunks and they're like that's when you go caving i was like let me get this straight we're going to choose to on purpose go into a cave that we can't see anything they're like Yeah, doesn't that sound great? I'm like, no, it does not. They're like, but you can't see your hands. I'm like, yeah, this isn't getting any better, you know? They're like, but it's so dark, it's beautiful. I was like, is it beautiful though? Like if we can't see anything? But what I loved about it was they were right. It was dark and it was disorienting. And it was kind of wild because you actually had to do two things. One, you had to trust the person in front of you was following the person in front of them was going the right way. I think that's a beautiful way to look at discipleship and following Jesus. It's not just saying I trust Jesus, but it's saying, God, can you put people in front of me who can help me along as I go through this path of darkness? But what I found even more beautiful about spelunking at 15 was my flashlight. Because if I lost track of the person in front of me and I just had a walk in disorientation, I had this handy flashlight that I can put out, push on, and see in front of me, even if it's just a little bit more. So people would have understood that light shines best in darkness, that light always overcomes darkness. In fact, Jesus also makes a couple of references here that the people back then would have known that we sometimes miss. This would have been common sense to them. That first of all, when Jesus mentions the town on a hill, Jerusalem was built on a hill because God wanted Jerusalem to be known to the world and to shine before the world. In fact, God has called Israel, he's called his followers, and now even Jesus is calling them the light of the world the people would have known that in their houses you know they had these light um uh, little lanterns that they would set up and then if you wanted to light the whole house though you'd have to lift it up and put it on a lampstand light is meant to shine but especially in the dark and i think that's such a great reminder to us because we get so paralyzed by the darkness all around us or the darkness sometimes in us but light is meant to shine especially in the dark when Jesus calls them and in essence calls us to be salt and light. I think there's four things that Jesus wants us to hold on to. The first one is that, have you ever thought about your existence in this moment, in this right now with the people that you know, with the people that you're connected to in the world that you live in? Have you ever thought about the idea that God has you here now to be a preservative? Not one of the ways I think of my faith. This is a new one for me. But the idea here is we are here now to not just keep our world from decaying, but to keep our world from decaying and moving to life. So, not dying, to moving to life, and then getting healthy enough in life that that person can give life to another person and keep it going on and on and on. It's not enough for you to say the world is rotten it's not enough for you to say the world is not as it should be anyone can say that but if you are a follower of jesus it is your job to be the salt of the earth it is your work your mission your life goal is to keep this world from decay you are called right now to impact your world for the better who you know who you're connected to, whoever you design or whoever you see as the world that you're in, you are supposed to be a preservative to keep that world from decay and to move that world from life, from life to health, from health to regeneration, from regeneration to actually pouring it someone else who's bringing life to the world. As salt of the earth, we are also called to be flavorful. There's a movie quote that I love Um, And it's a movie that I still can't understand. It's a weird movie. But there's this one line in Vanilla Sky, and it's like, the sweet ain't as sweet without the bitter. And there's this thing about how, like, you know, we need to celebrate the good times in life because the bad times are going to come. But what I think what I love most about Jesus calling us to be the salt of the earth. It's saying that, yeah, good times are going to come, bad times are going to come. But your work, your job is to actually enhance the sweet for everyone else and block the bitter Jesus isn't just calling us to accept there's good and there's bad Jesus is saying when there's good I need you to make it better when there's bad I need you to help you take it away I need you to block that bitter it is our work as salt of the earth to help others see the value that God sees in them it's not enough to just say God loves everyone but does everyone in your life know that God loves them How can you help them see that, know that, walk in that truth? It is also our job, our call to help people be who God has called them to be. It's no longer enough as Christians for us to say there will be good times, there will be bad times. We are not Solomon, we're not writing Ecclesiastes, at least we think he wrote it. It is our work, though, to make the good even better in Christ and to help each other through the bad by blocking whatever bitter we can block, by holding each other, by walking hand in hand. That is our work to be flavored to this world. Third thing when we get to the light portions is that light is made to shine. Salt is made to preserve and bring flavor. Disciples are actually meant to not only like be discipled by Jesus, but to actually make disciples. That is the work of every single Christian. The question we should always be asking ourselves is, who am I actually discipling right now? Who's actually discipling me right now? It's got to be a circle. Salt has to salt. Disciples have to disciples. Followers have to actually follow. And one of the best ways I think God's really put this on my heart is this reminder that I've been saying to us, I feel for the last two years, three years, four years, maybe even five years. I don't know when we started the first John series. But it's this idea that there is darkness in the world, All of us can say that. All of us can name the darkness. All of us know the darkness. But can we say that for every darkness we see, Christ calls us to be the light? And that's what I love about the body of Christ. We all get different skills, gifts, experiences, um, expertise even. We all get different ways to, to fight and, and, and defeat this darkness. But it's not enough for us to just claim there's darkness in the world. Because I think every single time we say, God, there's darkness in the world, Jesus is going to smile at us and say, but you are the light of the world in me. And I love that verse from 1 John, the one who knew Jesus the most, his best friend. When he looked at everything around him, he says, the darkness is passing, but the true light is already shining. And for me, that gives me strength to know that no matter how much darkness I think I see, Jesus, the true light, is already shining. No matter how much darkness is in the world, there's a billion Christians right now in the world. What a powerful witness we can be if we stop complaining about the darkness and actually start living and shining our light for God's glory. Because these little lights together not only make a big light, but they get to make forever impact. Now I shared earlier about how God has always wanted his people to be a light. Israel, he called a light of the world. Jerusalem, he called a light of the world. And the Israelites and the Jewish people finally built the temple. Jesus says, this should be my house of prayer. It should be a house of all the nations because I need you to be a light of the world. So it makes sense that Jesus says, you, my followers, are going to be the light of the world. To follow Jesus is to be the light of the world. But our call is to be light by shining where we are. We all have dreams. We all have ideas of where we think our life should be or where we should be going. But this is a reminder to me that it's okay to pause and to stop and to say, God, this is where I am now. How can I shine for your glory? That's what it means to be light of the world. Because wherever God has you right now, I guarantee you, with the Spirit's help, with Jesus as your guide, with the Father holding you, you can be light right now. And I love this idea that the church is the light of the world. We always talk about, I feel like in Christianity, about everything the church is not. But let's dream a little bit. What if there really is a billion of us who follow Jesus today? What if there really is a billion of us who follow Jesus today? What kind of light can those billion people do? If all of that billion was saying, God, I will shine where I am. How much different will our world look like, feel like? How much will our world see Jesus and feel God's love? What can we do if we as the church accept Jesus' call to be our light? I think Jesus gives us the answer. He says, if you shine so brightly, others will see your good works and they will glorify our Father in heaven. We're called the light of the world not to ignore darkness, but to conquer it. We're called the light of the world to help one another in and out of that darkness. We're called the light of the world to look like Christ, to love like Christ, to live like Christ, and to bring our world to Jesus Christ. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And with the Spirit as our guide, with Jesus as our example, and with our Father as our home, our refuge, and our strength, we can change this world for our God's glory. Amen. God bless you all. I'm, like, scared to use a tissue because now I have white stuff on my face. So I'll just give my hand. All right. I think I'm good for benediction. Randy, you good for benediction? Many of you have ever gotten an email from me. You know that I love to put verses at the end of emails. And one of my favorite verses is absolutely this one. And I love to actually give it to, to young people because I feel like a lot of us grew up singing This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Beautiful song like we just sung, Right? But how much would this world change if we actually believed that this little light of ours that's inside of us is meant to shine and if we let it shine it can be for God's glory we are the salt of the earth according to our Jesus we are the light of the world according to our Jesus if we start walking in that truth how much more would the world see us and glorify our father in heaven let's pray together Our father and our god we thank you so much for the blessing the privilege the honor it is to worship you to know you to be known by you a god who's worthy of all our worship and all our praise a god who carries us through any and everything but lord jesus christ we thank you now as we get ready to leave Of this tremendous call that you give us, Lord, help it to not be a burden or a yoke, but really a freedom to know that in partner with you in surrender to the spirit with our eyes fixed on you, Lord Jesus, and being held and carried by our father, we can be salt of the earth, salt that preserves our world from decay, salt that flavors our world and turns people to you, light that conquers darkness, light that shines so brightly that people see that light and glorify our God and father. What a blessing, what a privilege to be loved by God and to help God do his work of on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, give us strength, help us to surrender. Lord Jesus, give us love, help us to surrender. Father God, give us peace, help us to surrender. Lord, help us to live as salt of the earth in light of the world for your kingdom and for your glory. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you.